Well, good morning, everybody, again. For those of you who might be new, my name is Pastor Cole, or just Cole Works, too. And I am the ministry's pastor. Uh, that's a fancy title for jack-of-all-trades, master of none, assistant pastor. Um, our lead pastor, Tony Van Manen, is uh, out of the state this week. He is enjoying the Alps, and his wife and, and him are away on a trip that they had um, earned through her business. So um, you're stuck with me today, but hopefully um, it's not about me or pastor, but it's about the Lord, and hopefully uh, there's something for you. Hey, I want to say thanks to everybody who um, wished me a happy birthday on Friday. Um, if you didn't, you're dead to me. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. Half of you only knew because of Facebook. Let's be honest, okay? Facebook gave it away. Uh, <laughs> Ro, Ro, wave, wave your hand down here. Ro's kind of new. Ro owns a nutrition shop, right? And I, I met him like, what, a month ago? Well, yeah, January, right at the Super Bowl. So we had a Super Bowl party, and, and he was there and met him and uh, went down to his nutrition shop and met him once uh, down there and just kind of, you know, got to see his shop and what he was doing, had some conversations, and he posted on my timeline. He was like, hey, it's been so great to know you. It's been, like, for forever. Seems like just yesterday that we were at this Super Bowl party, and you came to my store, and, yeah, it literally was like a month. So, um it's cool. He's got a, if you haven't met Ro, meet that guy. He is a funny guy, funny sense of humor. Uh, if you know Daryl Deacons, he's like the 50-year younger version of him. So uh, corny jokes all day long, and I'm making him feel really uncomfortable right now, which is awesome. Um, if you need to buy legal drugs, he sells them. Uh, health nutrition is what I mean. So not actual drugs, drugs. Can I stop now? Are you good? That's good. Okay. I really want to see that 20 bucks afterwards, so <clears throat> just kidding. You didn't tell me to say that. Uh, hey, to everybody who brought guests last week, I want to say thank you. We had a really great Sunday. It was our You Plus Who Sunday, and we had probably a little over 20 guests that came, and I see some of you were brave enough to come back for round two. Okay, that's good. We didn't scare you away completely, um, but to those of you who maybe even invited guests but they didn't come, Thank you for doing that anyways. Thank you for living out your faith and investing in others and trying to get them um, to, to come to a church and learn more about Jesus, and um, that was just an awesome thing. Good news is, if you invited somebody and they did not come, you get a second chance. Round two is coming. Easter is like three weeks away, and I mean, who doesn't come to church on Easter? Everybody comes to church, like Easter and Christmas. I mean, you're, it's pretty much a guarantee if you ask, okay? And we've got a fun, I, we'll tell you more about it in the next couple of weeks, but we've got a fun little invite, you know, we we kind of were tried something new last time. It was an experiment. We had the U plus who cards and a pack of gum, so it's not like awkward, like, hey, your breath stinks. Come to church. Um, <clears throat> but since it's Easter, we've created these little cards, and they say, we love new peeps. You know, that's the hip word for people, right? And we're going to buy a pack of peeps to go with those invitations, so then you can invite somebody, and it could be really awkward. Not as quite as awkward as, hey, your breast stinks, come to church. So the gum, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't work, but hopefully the peeps work. And as we start handing those invitations out over the next few weeks, think of someone now or maybe re-invite re that neighbor or coworker that didn't come the first time. And uh, we're excited to see what God does this Easter. It's on April Fool's Day, but it's not April Fool's. Um, it's Easter. So we're in week two of our March series entitled They Followed Jesus, we're going to be in Matthew today. you got notes in your bullets in there. Um, but Matthew 14, if you want to follow along in Scripture, I definitely would encourage you to uh, turn over in your Bible or click on your tablet or smartphone, whatever you prefer to use. Um, but that's where we're going to spend all of our time today, the majority of our time here, um, in this passage. And we're going to read Matthew 14 almost in its entirety. And um, 
<clears throat> for some of you, perhaps this is a familiar passage. Maybe if you grew up in church at all, um, you heard it as a child. Um, and maybe you never heard of it before and you're kind of new to the church thing. That's okay, too. Um, we want to just look at this story and hopefully we'll find something, discover something new that we've never seen before. I'm always amazed how many times I can read a passage um, over and over or hear that story from a preacher multiple times and then there'll come another time that I hear it and something new just pops off at me on the pages and I'm like, wow, where, how did I not see that before? And so I, I don't know if, be, if that'll be you today, but hopefully um, there is something that you will learn today that you, maybe you've never seen before. It's estimated that between 8,000 and 10,000 churches will close their doors this year. 8,000 to 10,000. Um, that's a study done by Tom Rainier. Uh, if you don't know who he is, I really like him and um, the Barna Group. They do research that you, all research is kind of sketchy, right? But you can kind of trust his and, and theirs. It's more accurate. And uh, he's with Lifeway. Um, Christian resources, and, and that's what he's estimated. You know, you've heard of the, maybe you haven't, the 80% of churches are declining. Uh, that was at one time a true statistic, statistic, but there's actually good news. It's only 65%, so that number's lower, which means the 35% are actually growing. So there's some, yeah, there's negative because that declining number is higher, but the growing number is, is a positive thing. Three million people, let me say that again, three million people will leave the church this year. They'll become religiously unaffiliated. They're not walking away from God. They're not saying they don't believe in God, but they're walking away from the church. They're saying, hey, I don't need the church. You know, research shows that there's several reasons, and, and for many, maybe there are um, selfish reasons, but these are some of those reasons, and, and maybe you can relate to some. Number one is they're bored. Again, very selfish reason to not go to church, but it's a reason nonetheless. Church bores me. Number two, they felt like they were in need, and no one cared. Maybe it was the congregation, maybe it was the pastor, maybe it was both, but they felt that when they were in need, nobody even cared. Number three, they felt the church wasn't what it used to be. I mean, we know that anything new or different has to be wrong, right? Change. We don't like change. And so sometimes people don't like change, so they just give up. Hey, I don't know whether that's in the good change or bad change, they just don't like it. Number four, and I think these last two are probably some of the most, the most two important that we should listen to and, and note, but they weren't connected to other believers. And what I mean by that is, and maybe you're one of them, you slip in and you slip out of church as fast as you can. You're punching a time clock. I'm going to get there at the last minute. That way I don't really got to say anything to anybody. And I'm going to leave as fast as I can. Maybe even while the preacher's praying. So nobody notices who I am. And you punch that time clock not connecting with other believers. And actually, I want to challenge you, church. So this is a challenge. And don't just do it this week. I would like it to be a challenge for weeks to come. How can we prevent that from happening at Centennial? All right. So in a church our size, we're a medium-sized church. There's probably about 150 people in here right now. 
Last week, there was 233 people on property. That's kids and Spanish and everything. But in this auditorium, about 150. How many of you, there's somebody in this auditorium right now that you don't know? Raise your hand. That should be just about everybody because I don't know some of you, right? Maybe I saw you. Maybe I don't know you that well. But this is the challenge, right? The three-minute rule. Here's the three-minute rule. As soon as church is over and the pastor says, amen, amen, whatever he says. It was a lame attempt at a joke, people. But as soon as it's over, for three minutes, do not speak to someone that you know. You're not being rude, but be intentional. Say, you know what? For three minutes, I can catch up with you and what's going on in three minutes. I can find out about your day, your week, where we're going to lunch in three minutes. But for the next three minutes, I'm going to be really intentional. Now, today when I pray, all of you are going to leave in the middle of the prayer. I know this is going to happen, right? Like, I'm out. Three minutes. Lock the doors, ushers. Lock the doors. Just kidding. Um, But for three minutes, be intentional on not talking to people that you know. Find someone you don't know. Introduce yourself and try to connect with them. It doesn't mean you got to, like, hang out and be weird. But just, hey, my name is Tom. Hi, I'm Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. Cool. Have a good day. Whatever. But try to be intentional in connecting with other people. So that's the three-minute rule challenge. There you go. Don't leave during the prayer. All right. Number five, they weren't serving. So they weren't involved in personal ministry. These are reasons that, that three million people are predicted to leave the church this year. Notice that it was rarely, and it honestly wasn't even mentioned But statistically, I know there's some, but it was rarely beliefs. It was almost never beliefs. It's not that people don't believe in God. It's that they are walking away from organized religion. And the problem is that we're not prioritizing worship with other believers. We're not prioritizing fellowship or community with other believers or serving with other believers. Yes, sin, sin's a factor. Obviously, we're not... Avoiding, we all have sin in our lives. I mean, you say the word sin and everybody gets, you know, who does he know about mine? Uh, Like everybody gets rigid. Yeah, like we're all sinners. And sin is a legit and it's a serious problem, but we're not focusing on, on sin today as much as we're focusing on, which is a sin, the lack of faith that we have. And we're gonna see how not serving, not being in community with others, not getting involved in the church causes us to have a lack of faith and how this applies to following Jesus, right? Last week, pastor mentioned the five circles of the church. And if you were to draw a diagram, right, of, of five rings, picture them like a bullseye, the outside ring is the community. And last week, we had a service to try to invite the community into the crowd. And the crowd is people who show up on Sunday but they're not really, they don't belong to the church. They might even be unbelievers. They might not really know church. And from there, we go into the congregation. Now, the congregation are those of you who come every week, those of you who are faithful every week, those of you who would say, yes, I am a believer of Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus, and I know that he's my savior. But then we see that there's the committed and the core. And those people, as that inner circle moves in, those are the ones that come faithfully. They serve. They give. They're, they're committed. They're investing in this local body of the church, and they're investing in in others and in the community, right? And so as we talk about this series, They Follow Jesus, we're talking about moving from the outside in until we're the part of the core of what the, the church is and we'll believe what God would have us to do. And there are many different reasons 
that we don't get involved in ministry and people don't get involved in ministry, right? Uh, specifically when it comes to serving in the church. So if we're talking about moving from the congregation, or I'm sorry, moving from the crowd, people that just come to church, to actually being part of the congregation, being part um, of the committed and the core, people who are giving, if we want to move inward, there are reasons why we don't do that. And here's a couple just to, to rattle them off, right? I'm not talented enough. In other words, I couldn't serve in church. I couldn't do what, like, I couldn't stand up and talk to people. I couldn't sing. I couldn't play. Yeah, I can, but I only do it for myself. It's, it's more entertaining if I play guitar and it's just me because I'm, I'm not that good. I'm not smart enough. You know, I, I didn't go to college. I don't have an education. Um, they need smart people. I don't dress well enough. I don't look good enough. I don't, whatever. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy. <clears throat> and so we make excuses as to why we can't follow Jesus. I mean, sure, we follow him enough to realize we're sinners. And if you've never made that decision, um, I hope that would be you or you say, hey, I realize that um, I am a sinner and I'm in need of salvation. Pastor talked about that last week. But let's say we're, today we're talking about those who've already committed. They're saying, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I realize that he died for my sins. I realize that that's important. But that's about it. I don't really want to go any further. I mean, this whole getting involved in church. Yeah, I want to come to church. But if like serving and doing, that's not for me. That's for other. That's for preachers. That's for the called, as we might say. And we say we can't follow him because you fill in the blank, and we have these lists of excuses, right? But in today's passage, Matthew 14, we find Jesus, he's asking his disciples to do something. And what he was asking them to do was actually impossible. They, they physically, literally could not do it. And for them to do this, there was no way. And we're going to learn about how they responded to this call that Jesus had on them, and then... Um, we're going to see what their response was, right? And, and we know in this passage that this is the feeding of the multitude. Some of you may have heard it referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, and the number's not important. Many say, well, it wasn't 5,000 because the Bible says it was 5,000 men plus women and children, so it was like 10, 15, 20,000. The numbers are irrelevant. The point is of what took place and Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and this is a well-known event, and it's so well-known that it's mentioned in all four Gospels. In Matthew 14, where we're at today, it's mentioned. And then if you turn to uh, Mark 6 or Luke 9 or John 6, you're going to see where the, the story of the feeding of the multitude of the 5,000 was mentioned in all of those. And before we read this passage, uh, just to tell you a story here, there was a, a young preacher, right? This preacher had just finished seminary, Bible college. I mean, he was, he was pumped. He was young, you know, 21, fresh, fresh meat. And he was like, hey, can't wait to go preach. And his old church that he grew up in calls him back and they say, hey, we want you to come preach for us. And he's like, yes. I get to go preach for my old church. I'm so excited. And so as he got excited and he began to prepare his sermon, I mean, he wrote it down word for word. He memorized it word for word. He was practicing in the mirror. He was getting ready. And he said, I'm going to have this long, dramatic entrance to get their attention. And so as the preacher got up to speak, he hit the pulpit really hard and he was banging on it. And he said, Jesus took 5,000 fish. And Jesus took 2,000 loaves of bread, and he fed five people. <laughs> and he paused for a long, dramatic effect. And then he pointed his finger, and he said, could you do that? 
And the people's response that day was much like yours. They laughed like, <laughs> and this infuriated the pastor. He was like, why are they laughing? And then one man raised his hand. And when the man raised his hand, I mean, it set him off. He was like, sir, how can you claim to do that? That's blasphemy. He's like, you can't do that. Only God can. And well, the man being gracious finally stood up and he explained, he said, young man, and he went on to tell him how he had made a mistake. And at this point, the pastor, the young pastor, was so embarrassed, he couldn't talk. And he, he, he sat down in utter disappointment, utter shock. He's like, what have I done? My home church, I'm a failure. They're never going to listen to me again. But the congregation was very loving, right? They came up to this man. They wrapped their arms around him. They hugged him. They said, there, there, preacher, it's okay. You can get a stab at it again next week. So the preacher thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back next week, and I'm going to get all my facts right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so he did. He worked hard. He got all his facts right. And he came back, same grand opening and entrance. You know, he smacked the pulpit. And he said, Jesus fed 5,000 people. He got the statistics right that time. And he went on. And then he pointed his finger and he said, could you do that? And everybody paused. And then eventually that same man raised his hand. And the pastor was so confused. He's like, what in the world is wrong with this guy? He said, sir, he said, how do you reckon that you can do that? And he said, well, with the leftovers from last week's sermon. <laughs> so there you have it. That's the feeding of the 5,000. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're in Matthew, Matthew 14. <clears throat> just to recap these first 12 verses, we're going to pick up in verse 13, but the, the first 13, um, or first 12 verses are the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded, and the disciples are going to tell Jesus um, about this, this um, event that took place. And verse 13 says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. So God's heard of this. He's going away. He wants to be alone. He wants to pray. I mean, one of his followers has been killed, right? And... When the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. So Jesus is going to go away. He's heard the news of John, and he is wanting to um, mourn, be alone, and Yet this people know that who he is, and they decide, we want to follow him. And as they follow Jesus, Jesus is moved with compassion. And he says, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to this crowd. I'm even going to heal their sick. He's performing miracles, and he's with this crowd. But if we look in verse 15 and keep reading, it says, And when it was evening, his disciples came unto him, saying, This is a desert place. Desert. Desert. Sorry. It's always on the mind, right? Yeah. And the time is now past. In other words, it's late. This place is barren. Anybody ever been to El Paso? I lived there for three years. Thanks, Army. It was the worst experience of my life. It was a desert, barren place. There was nothing fun there, right? You came to love it. But that's what the disciples are saying. It's late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. In other words, tell them to go away and buy their own food. But Jesus said unto them, so he says to his disciples, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. So he says, hold up. He's like, they don't got to go anywhere. There's no need to send them away. 
You give them something to eat. You feed them. So the disciples sensed a need. He said, this crowd is getting anxious. It's, it's late. They're hungry. Get rid of them, God. We want to go. And God says, uh-uh. You feed them. They saw the need, but they didn't want to meet it. Now here's the question. Have you ever sensed a need, felt a need, but then you're like, well, I don't want to meet it. God sent somebody else to meet it. God sent somebody else to take care of it. And that's what the disciples were doing here. We instantly think, sure, we're moved with compassion, being moved. That's not hard to do, right? Oh, I feel the need. I feel sorry for that guy who um, is in need. But yet we don't want to meet that need. And we, think, we try to think of ways why we can't and reasons why we can't. And we want somebody else to do it, right? Let's pick up back up in verse 17. And they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. We can't do it. We're not prepared. We don't have enough food. We don't have the right tools. I mean, John, he was one of our followers. He just died. Just send him away so we can think about this and mourn about this. And, and, and yet... Jesus says, no. He says, verse 18, bring them hither to me. Well, I know we wouldn't use the word hither today, but what he's saying was, just bring me what you have. You've only got five loaves? You've only got two fish? That's okay. Bring me what you have. Have you ever had that conversation with God? Like you sense that there's a need. You sense that there is um, someone that, that has something that's in need that maybe you could help them with. But then again, you start to have that conversation with yourself and you think, well, I don't have enough experience. No, just bring the experience that you have. Well, I don't have enough money. Well, bring the money that you have. But I don't have enough education Bring the education that you have. But I don't have the talent. Well, you get where I'm going. Bring the talent that you have. Because the disciples said, we've only got two fish and two loaves of bread. There's over 5,000 people. And Jesus said, bring me what you have. Verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down. On the grass and took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples. So he blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And then he said, here you go. And he gave it to his disciples. Now, I don't know about you. I don't, and I can't speak for the disciples. But if this was me, I would be staring at God like, what are we doing? 5,000 people in, in, you know, we know he fills the baskets. We know the story. But at this point, this is what's interesting. The disciples go, and it says, and, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So they had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle, but yet they still didn't understand how he was going to do it because they were like, God, we don't have enough. They're his followers. They've seen firsthand, but they're making excuses. and What? But then they go ahead, and we see instead they listen, they obey, 
And then they do what they know to do, which is to start handing out the bread, and they trust God that he's going to do the rest. Verse 19 says, he gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So even though the disciples didn't understand, even though they doubted, even though they might have been a little bit confused about how God was going to make these few small pieces feed thousands, and even though they had seen him do miracles, they didn't have faith. But then once God said, hey, give me the bread, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and he gave it, they said, okay. And they just went ahead, and they did, and they served. And this is the question in our notes that we see this morning, and in in, in something that we want to look at in depth is, are you willing to do what only you can do and trust God to do what only he can do? Are you willing to do what only you can do and trust God to do what only he can do? All the disciples knew was start passing out bread. Start passing out fish, right? They didn't know how it was going to multiply, but they said, God said it. I'm I'm going to go with it. And they were trusting that God was going to make this not run out and that he was going to feed the multitude. I'm sure they were a little fearful, right? Excuse me. They were wondering, how's this going to work? Like, I've seen a lot of miracles, but feeding this many people with that little fish and that little bread, that sounds like it's a stretch. But this is the thing. The tension and the fear that they were feeling was from God, and it was that that fear that you feel sometimes, it's from God. It's not the situation. A lot, oftentimes we think we're fearful of the situation. The disciples that day weren't fearful of the crowd. They weren't fearful of the hungriness. What they were fearful of was actually something bigger. The issue was trusting God. And that's the issue with you and me. It's about trusting Jesus, and it's about having the capacity of our faith tested and moved so that we will follow him by faith. Because after all, the issue is the size and capacity of our faith, which directly impacts our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And in this process, this this faith process of trusting that he's going to use what you have and do his part, our faith muscle begins to get stretched and we begin to grow. Verse 20 says, and they did eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. So we know the story. Jesus fed them. There was leftovers. There was 12, and, and yay, hip, hip, hooray. And that's the excitement of this story. But oftentimes we stop there, and we don't realize that this story continues on into another story that is also a well-known, a child story that you hear oftentimes about Jesus walking on the water and Peter going out to him. Verse 21, and when they had eaten, were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Verse 22, and straightway, immediately, in other words, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him into the other side while he sent the multitude away. So he says, hey, go away, guys. I got this. I'm going to send them away. You go. Get in the boat. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, look at this. This is, this is comical. This is that thing that popped out to me that I hadn't really noticed before. These are fishermen. 
These disciples, you know, yeah, they're disciples of Christ, but that's their trade. Most of them are, are fishermen. There's others that, that, you know, tax collectors and things, but most of them are fishermen. This is their comfort zone. This boat and stuff, that's what they do. They're really good at it. But, but watch what's about to happen. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. There's no great faith here. They're on the boat. They're in their comfort zone, but there's a storm. And now they see something. They think it's a ghost, but it's actually God. Um, and these are the followers of Jesus, the most committed people of that day, right? The ones that are, are <clears throat> doing their best to follow Jesus. You would say, if you were to look at them today, oh, those are the preachers and the faithful church people. But they were scared. Verse 27 says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And this is where Peter has an aha moment. And, and he's like, oh, I get it. It kind of starts to sink in. He says, we didn't trust him before with the fish, and we didn't trust him with the bread, but now he wants us to trust him in this storm. And so he's thinking to himself, whenever the Savior asks me to do something that I can't do, if I do what only I can do, I trust him to do the rest, then he's going to do it. Verse 28, and here's what it says. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me, in other words, invite me to come unto thee on the water. He's saying, invite me. I trust you. I didn't trust you before that you were going to take that bread and that we were going to take those fish and you were going to feed the, the, the multitude. But I'm trusting you now that you're on the water and that I can come to you. But if, so if you'll invite me, God, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll come. And, and this is what we see. Verse 29 says, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And, and this is really the Christian experience because stepping out of our comfort zone so that God can do what only he can do. But the thing is, is we have to do what we know to do. And Peter, Peter was praying this prayer, so to speak, of God invite me out of my comfort zone, which is always a scary thing to do, right? Peter knew two things. He could step out of the boat. That was easy. He was a fisherman. And he knew how to walk. He'd been on two legs for quite some time. But he didn't quite have the water thing down, you know, the walking and water when they mix, bad combo, right? But he said, well, that's God. I'm trusting you. You're telling me not to be afraid. God, invite me. Notice God didn't just invite him. He asked God to invite him. He said, God, take me out of my comfort zone of this ship and let me come to you. And then today, um, when it comes to our relationships with following deeper in our faith and getting involved within the local church and moving from the outside in and serving others, for some of you, Maybe God is calling you. Maybe you felt that need and you've, you've talked to God, but, but you're not responding. Maybe he's inviting you to come out of the boat and host a small group. Maybe he's inviting you to come out of the boat and join a small group. Maybe he's inviting you to give, but I, I don't, my money, it's mine. And if, if I give, then I'm not going to, and there's that trust battle and that faith battle of going back and forth. Well, maybe if I, if I step out and I get involved 
in children's ministry, and we have these pools in different directions, in different areas of our life, and then we begin to be like the disciples when we make excuses. I'm not a leader. I'm too old. I'm too young. It's a desert place. It's late, and we're making these excuses just like the disciples, and our, and our focus is not on Jesus. Let me tell you a little something as we uh, just kind of a pause or time out here. Um, and for those of you who are new, this past fall, we kind of transitioned our, the structure of our services. We were traditionally a Sunday morning, Sunday evening church. And with the fall, we experimented with in-home small groups and doing those for the most part on Sunday evenings. And then others, I know, meet on Fridays or Saturdays or throughout the week. And that has been really good. We still do periodic um, special events on Sundays, like this worship and communion night that's coming up on the, the last Sunday of this month. We still have special guest missionaries and things throughout the year, which are, are great, and they make those times even more special. But as we did that, we transitioned and kind of changed, and, and our, now our morning, our first hour service is specific to topical studies, like this, we're doing a marriage one, then we've got class 101 going, and then we have uh, next month, or, or the next month, I'm sorry, we're doing a parenting one and going into class 301. We have those different options, but our actual vision is this, as we, we have eight small groups now that meet, actually nine, I'm sorry, um, we have eight small groups um, that meet, uh, um, that are husband and, and wife, they're, they're married or singled uh, small groups, both genders, that's what I'm trying to say, I can't say it right. And then we have one all-male um, small group that meets on Thursday nights. That, that's a brand new one, just kind of started up a couple weeks ago. Um, Ro, the guy I was giving a hard time, him and some men meet at Panera on Thursday nights, and they have a, a small group Bible study. And um, then we have two of our older senior saints that still meet on Sunday mornings during the first hour here. And um, we've seen God grow that, and that's been an exciting thing. And our prayer, and our, we're asking God to even extend our small groups even more after Easter to, to add an additional five small groups because small groups are getting large. And really, if they're more than eight people, um, conversation begins to not be real. Friendships are not as, as good as we would like it where you just become fake. You, you don't feel comfortable. You're like, hey, I'm not going to share about my problems, my trials. I'm not going to be real because, you know, I'm going to your house and you've got it all together. And if you came to my house, so we make these excuses in our brains. So we really want to keep them small, right? That's the point of small groups, uh, keeping them small. And so we would like to see some of those groups multiply. My group is going to multiply. Um, right now we've got um, Jacob and Nicole. Wave at me. Hi, guys. They're the young newlyweds. Um, he's my nephew and I'm drawing a blank. Cody, thank you. <laughs> Whatever. Cody and Michaela, also newlyweds, they're going to branch off and start their own group together. And then since they're newlyweds without children, also um, invite some, some singles. Whether you're, so if you're in your early 20s and you're, you're not married, um, that's a great opportunity coming up after Easter where you could get plugged into a small group. And um, seeing these, these groups do that and develop, that is kind of our goal, that God would use that to grow the church. And even as churches grow in numbers, um, they can remain small in community in that, in that effect. Um, but our other thing is our next step classes. And I don't know that we've actually shared this with you, church, but so our next step classes are this. We have class 101, which is discovering church membership. And you think, man, I thought church membership was just like old school. I don't think people do that anymore. Well, they might not, but we think it's important. And because membership is, it's not about giving. 
It's not about, well, if, they mem- if they're members, they got to give. If they don't give, we don't track giving uh, as far as myself and pastor. That's why we have a treasurer and a board. Um, so it's not about that. It's not about you keeping tabs on you. It's just when you join something, when you align yourself with something, you're committed to it, right? The world says right, marriage, right? Oh, you don't even get married anymore. But when you get married, you're committing, hey, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm going to be we're going to make this relationship work. Well, it's the same thing in membership with the church. When you join the church, you're saying, you know what? I believe and I align myself with what they're doing. And unless they depart from that, from God's truth, the word of God, I want them to know that I'm committed to being a part of that. And so that's why we kind of encourage a membership. And that also, it gives you, if you're a guest or if you're new, or maybe you've been coming for months and you never know, we tell you about our church and what we are and why we believe it. Yes, we have the name Baptist in, in, our, in our name. It's not a biggie if we do or we don't. It's just a name. Really, the, the foundation is God's word and the doctrine of which we believe, which is um, our, our Savior, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and, and all those foundational truths that we believe in. And everything else is the non-essentials. We can disagree on those, but we want to prom- promote unity in the essentials, which is God's word. Um, and so that's what class 101 is. Class 201 is about growing in your faith. So it's about prayer. It's about reading your Bible. It's about getting those daily habits um, in dra- um, in ingrained, there it is, not ingrained, ingrained within you so that you can begin to grow and develop that deep relationship with Christ. Class 301 is, is one of my favorites. It's about discovering your ministry, um, how you can serve, what your gifts are. We call it your shape, which stands for your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. All five of those things are uniquely unique to you, and that makes you different. And so learning those things can really help you serve. And then class 401 is um, uh, evangelism, and it's about learning to make disciples and to share your faith and to grow and to step out on your faith. Uh, I shared all of that with you to say this. It's our vision and our prayer that we have men and women who will step up and say, you know what? God has burdened me for that area of ministry, and I want to take that, and I want to lead it. While it's great that pastor teaches and I teach, we would love to see more laymen and women become involved in saying, you know what, I'm going to stretch my faith. I know God has gifted me, and I want to be able to do more. Because if we have laymen and laywomen who take charge of those classes, obviously under the the guidance of, of the pastor, but they're saying, I'm going to trust you, pastor, but I'm really passionate about this. I want to help people learn about this church. I want to help people become members and get committed. I want to help people grow closer to Christ. Whatever that passion is or talent is that you might have, you're saying, I want to do that. When you do that, and that becomes your focus, we become more organized, and that also opens up the opportunity to have more women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, or, or, or young couples, or, and they're not just restricted to myself and preacher um, pastor speaking. Now, some people might think, oh, that's your, that's terrible idea. You're going to open up the church to heresy. Well, no, we're still going to monitor what's being done. But we want to see men and women live their faith out and give and use the gifts that God has given them. Verse 30, that was a side note, time in, and we'll be, we'll be wrapping it up here real quick, okay? But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didn't thou doubt? Why'd you doubt me, Peter? And I don't think he was angry. 
I don't think this was, I mean, this is just my speculation. It's not biblical. There's no, there's no, this is my guess. But I don't think God was angry. Like, why did you doubt me? How dare you? If anything, right, he could have been more mad at the 11 disciples who were still on the boat. I mean, Peter at least had the courage to say, God, help me come to you. Invite me. And he went. I think it was more like a father. Excuse me. <clears throat> I think it was more like a father who's talking to his son, encouraging him like, oh, man, Peter, you were so close. You almost had it. But you doubted. Why were you of little faith? Verse 32 says, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they were in the ship, came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, truly, in other words, truly, thou art the son of God. Wow. Really, disciples? Truly, you're the son of God? You're just now getting it? These guys have seen him perform miracles. They've seen him feed um, the thousands of people and heal people. And now just because they saw him walking on, oh, now you're the son of God? Like, how can you live that way? I, I don't get it. But we've done the same thing. We're guilty of doing the same thing. We see God providing. We see God see him taking care of our needs. We see him meeting us in places where we didn't realize it. We get a new job. We get a promotion at work. Our car breaks down. We don't know how we're going to take care of it, but it, it happens somehow. There's food on the table. Little things that are blessings that are first world problems that we get every day, and yet we forget and we don't give God credit, and we think, wow, oh, now I get it. Like the disciples, when, we've, when something crazy happens, but we've seen his miracles all along. In the church world, it's like this. We see people leading a small group. We see a pastor speaking or teaching, or we see somebody in children's ministry volunteering, or, or those playing instruments or singing, and, and maybe we think, well, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. Those guys are super Christians, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And if you were to ask them, they would, say, they would say, no way. No, I'm not a super Christian. I'm just like Peter. I'm a coward. I doubt myself. I, 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 I don't believe God. I don't trust in God at times. I feel unqualified. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I'm that way. You can ask my wife. You can ask Scott. We're good friends. There's times I'm like, Dude, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. That's just me being genuine and honest. Like, there's times where I'm like, oh, I should not be the one that's talking to these people or leading that group, or half of them don't even like me, and I don't even like half of them. Like, like it's... <laughs> Oops, sorry, cat's out of the bag. <laughs> Relax, it was a joke, kind of. Um, <clears throat> this is my question, though. This is my question. It's in your notes. Where is God, where is God nudging you? Where is God nudging you? The issue is not the circumstance. The issue is you and your faith. It wasn't the hungry crowd. crowd. It, wasn't, it wasn't the stormy sea. It was a lack of faith on the disciples, the followers of Christ, to actually follow him. So the issue is us. It's me. It's you. It's our faith. The issue is not children's ministry, it's not greeting, it's not serving, it's not hosting, it's not leading, it's not any of these ministries that we try to get you as members of the church and as people of the church to be involved in and serve in. It's actually your faith and the unwillingness to say, God, I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do, and I'm going to do what only I know how to do. 
And the disciples used the size of the crowd, the lack of food, all those things, the storm, as excuses to say, God, we can't do this. And my question for you is, what excuses have you made? I mean, no one standing there that day would have thought, oh, the fish and the loaves, those are things that God's going to use in a miraculous way. Nobody. They'd have been like, well, they wouldn't even thought about it. It was an afterthought. But he did. He used them. What talents and skills and experiences and expertise or abilities do you have, like the fish, that don't appear to be things that God could use in a significant way, but yet you have them? Do what you can do and trust God to do what only he can do. Your last note in your blank says this, personal ministry, in other words, serving, enables us to experience God's power in our weakness. I mean, sometimes we may feel ill-equipped, we may feel unprepared, but those opportunities, those experiences, those are things through which God grows our faith. And sometimes we might even be doing those things um, for, the, for the benefit of helping others. Well, I want to do this because I want to help others. And, and others might be like, oh, I want to do this to help myself. But really, in the grand scheme of things, anytime you get involved in serving others, you are the one who comes out blessed. You are the one who comes out on the other end of things feeling completed, feeling satisfied, feeling fulfilled. Our big truth is this, and I think this, are, this is very important, um, these last two things. I know pastor does them. I don't always do a big truth and a, and a faith challenge, but I wanted to this morning, and, and that is this. Do what only you can do and trust God to do what only he can do. We can only do what we can do. Like, we can't change certain things. There's some things we can change and can't change, but what we can't change, we have to accept and say, God, this is how I am. This is how you made me. You do with the rest. And then I want to challenge you to do this today, church. Identify that skill, that talent, or that experience. You could call these your fish or your loaves. And then this week, I want you to exercise that as an act of, of personal ministry. Serve, whether, whether it's in the community. I know we're talking kind of about the church and getting involved and plugged into the church, but it also happens outside of, of the church, outside of, of these four walls. We know this building is not the church. We, as believers in Christ, are the church. And we're to live that out daily and to be witnesses for Christ until he returns. It might seem like nothing at all, just like the fish and the loaves, but God can use it. We just have to be willing. The disciples, they followed Jesus. They served. They failed at times. They doubted. They had little faith. But when it came down to it, they did what only they could do. And they trusted God to do what only he could do. And my question for you is, will you do the same today? Let's pray. God, I thank you for um, our time together this morning, and I pray that we would allow you to stretch us and to, to mold us and that we would learn to trust on you. I know there are so many times, even in my own life, where just like the disciples, I make excuses. And I pray that you would help us not to make excuses, not to look for ways and reasons why we can't serve, why we can't serve the church, why we can't serve uh, the community, but that we would look for ways to live our faith out, to trust that you're going to perform the miracle that's not the experience, it's not the situation, it, it, it's you and it's trusting you, God.
God, I thank you for those who are here today, and I do pray that if there are those who they've never met you as their Savior and they've never placed their trust in you, that they would realize that they can and that this is a safe place and that church is a place where they are loved. And I pray that you would just help us to be witnesses for you this week and to serve you. And it's your name we ask these things. Amen. Well, church, thanks for your attention today. I hope you have a blessed week. Don't forget that there are no Wednesday night activities this week. Don't forget the three-minute rule that I challenged you with. Have a good afternoon.